a very special treat for you. Bob Foster is going to uh, share with you a message. And uh, many of you in this room have heard Bob. <clears throat> uh, how many guys in this room have gone through Operation Timothy, have gone through those books? Remember that little thing in the back, Seven, seven Minutes with God? Bob wrote that, among other things, but a uh, real special, helpful piece to a lot of us here to get us started on our quiet times. Um, I'm not going to take a lot of time about Bob's background. He can share it if he'd like. Um, he's just been a, a real blessing to many of us here. Uh, I consider him a gentleman, also a man's man, um, and uh, it's just a real encouragement to see a, a man that... Uh, in his early 70s, right, Bob? Very early 70s. And he's still out there cranking for the Lord. So, Bob, you want to come on up and uh, share with us if you would? Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you. We lease a piece of property uh, right north of us. Uh, you can see um, that mountain there, Buffalo Peak, uh, right over north and uh, a little bit west of us. And uh, this is owned by a businessman up in Carroll Springs. We've been trying to buy it for some 30-odd years, and um, he decides that he'd rather keep it and pass it on to the synagogue. Um, but uh, we run our cattle up there in the fall, and Don Enright, who used to be the artist for the Navigators, did that for us, and kind of tells the story of this room, huh? The Roundup Room, and that's our cattle roundup. We welcome you to Lost Valley Ranch. We're delighted to have you here. Trust you're having a good time. Some of you were intimidated this morning by Walt Hendrickson. Uh, you're not alone. I read what he writes every month and sit there and try to figure out, now what did he say? Uh, terrific stuff. And then he says, come on, Bob. You know what I said. I said, well, tell it to me once again. And you heard him this morning, and if he tells it to you once again, why... Uh, your hands will go up, and uh, some of you wonder, boy, is this what I bought into? Two years ago, Gail and I were in San Diego at a deal like this, and Walt was to speak. And uh, that morning, well, fortunately, Lee Yi uh, spoke just before Walt did, and uh, if you ever heard Lee, why everybody was in the aisles and uh, cracked up and finally got around to saying something serious and uh, then Walt got up and uh, one of his great talks on uh, the profit motive and here's a hundred businessmen sitting there and Walt's telling us that uh, it isn't biblical to have a profit motive well the longer he got into it the more tense the meeting got and uh he hands were wanting to go up all over. Now he said, just save it. He said, we got a few more minutes. Well, 
Then he looked at his watch and he said, gentlemen, it's time for lunch. And so we'll have to continue this a little later on. And uh, he took off. And he had some friends visit him, and he lives in San Diego. And so uh, they announced that right after lunch, there'd be a meeting when they could ask any questions. And there's where Gail and I came in to answer <laughs> the questions. <laughs> We have put uh, Walt on a plane back to San Diego tonight, and uh, if you have any questions about uh, what he said this morning, why Gail will be taking care of him tomorrow uh, in his inimitable fashion. No, he's still with us. Uh, I think this is a gift that Walt has to challenge your thinking. You, I've heard him speak for umpteen number of years. And he always does that to me. I sit there and I say, I don't agree with that. Where'd you come up with that? I, I just challenge you on that. <laughs> uh, did you feel that way this morning? Come on, don't sit there so suave. <laughs> Reading through the Bible first of December I thought boy I'd like for 93 to be the best year of my life Lord what do you got in store for me our anniversary is the 9th and it's just about that time of December and uh, I like to read the book of Isaiah I don't understand much about it um, but it's a little Bible in miniature, 66 um, chapters, kind of following through the 66 books of the Bible. And I was in chapter 46, and I saw a verse that I'd never seen before, and so I claimed it for 93. Even in your old age, I am God. And even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. Psalm 46, 4. And then after having said those two things about my old age and my gray hair, that he is God and he will carry me, then he says four things that I can count on for 1993. Sometime when you have time, why look the verse up, and I don't care whether you don't have gray hair, and some of you don't have any hair. Um, I see the reflection, and so I know it's true. And uh, I just, uh, whatever your age, God promises to do those four things. I'm going to tell you what they are, uh, but they're there in the latter part of 46 for regardless of what your translation is. Isaiah, Isaiah 46, 4. We've had the ranch 33 years. We looked around for, oh, probably six or eight years for a ranch here in Colorado. Couldn't find one. This one wasn't for sale. And went over to the western slope and looked around Montrose and on south down toward Durango and 
Uh, oh, we even looked up into Wyoming some. And then I came back to Lost Valley and made reservations for the family to vacation here. And the fellow that owned it said, uh, we're going to be selling it. And so I may not be here, but your reservation is secured. I said, who are you selling it to? And he said, I don't know. Would you like to buy it? Well, the next year we had Lost Valley. At least we had a contract to buy Lost Valley. And in the interim that fall, Mary and I were invited by the navigators to go to Taiwan for a conference. And as we were there in several of the principal cities of the island, uh, we were also enjoying some of the tourist spots. And we went into a Chinese temple walled in. And here was a Chinese priest standing there in his robe facing the temple out in the courtyard. And in his hand, he had these two dice, a little red, uh, like a quarter of a moon, round on one side, flat on the other. And he had him in his hand. I didn't see him at first. And he would bow, and then he would throw these up in the air, and they'd go on uh, the ground, cobblestone. And he'd look at them, say something, pick them up, put them in his hand, and do it again. He was throwing the dice. Uh, My wife wanted these. And she wasn't sure that she should ask for them. So I said, well, you know, go over and ask him if you can have them. And so she went over, and in perfect English, she says, one (laughs) dollar. And so I pulled out a dollar, and uh, no, he said, one dollar for each. So two dollars. Oh, we thought, well, you know, he's probably a poor uh, Chinese priest, and uh, $2, that's well worth it. And then he explained to us in beautiful English that you throw them up into the air to your God, and then they come down. If they come down with the round side up, the answer is yes. If they come down and the flat side is up, it's no. If they come down, one's up and one's down, it's wait a while. Uh, and you get uh, two out of three. <laughs> so uh, we got this lesson, and uh, he just, as soon as he put the money in his robe, well, he just went on. And, and so we went in into the temple and looked around, came back, and here were some other Americans standing there. And I don't know how many dozens of these he had. <laughs> Uh, but he was making a, a mint off of we Americans with uh, his dice. But it's interesting that just before we left for Taiwan, I had claimed for this ranch, not knowing whether we'd have it or not, whether they accept the bid that we had offered them, Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And we went over to Taiwan and then up to Japan and Korea and came back and found out just before Christmas that he had accepted our contract and that now we had to come up with the money. And a little earlier in that same chapter, 
there was another verse I claimed then in January. Because now I had to come up with about $100,000 down payment. And uh, the total cost was 283000 And so I claimed a verse a little earlier in that chapter. Verse 9, it says, The heart of man deviseth his ways, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And as maybe you've heard Walt say, the plans are man's and the odds are God's. And uh, so I didn't know how God was going to work it out. I didn't even know whether we were going to be able to buy it. But a dear friend down in Oklahoma City said to me, Bob, if you buy it, make sure you have an accountability group of guys with you. Because you're stepping into something you know nothing about. And so I called or wrote to six guys that I knew. I'd played ball with some of them in school, some I'd known since high school days. And Mary and I decided that if five of the six guys said that they like to financially invest with us, I wanted an accountability group where they would have the leverage on me. You know, most of us, we liked it, but if we can have 51% or in some way uh, we can bail out of it or have them over. This way, if five guys, five of the six came in or all six came in, be five to one or six to one. And uh, so I wrote letters to Val O'Leary and Wheaton and Burt Billings in St. Louis and Ralph Eaton down in Phoenix and Guy Martin in Los Angeles and Ford Madison in Colorado Springs. And one other fellow who decided, he was the guy in Oklahoma City, decided he didn't want to do it, but these five guys did. The heart of man deviseth his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. 33 years ago, and boy, I'll tell you, it hasn't been all peaches and cream. Several times we've been right on the verge of bankruptcy, right on the verge of having the bank call our note in and so forth. Reminds me of a story in Carlos Springs where the guy goes into O Chicago and sees a longtime buddy of his, Larry, who he thought was doing real well, and Larry is sitting there drinking a beer and was in old clothes and hadn't shaved, and he said, Larry, he said, Man, I've never seen you look like this. What happened? He said, oh, I got wiped out. He said, I've lost everything, lost my family. And uh, my friend said, well, you know, what you need to do is you need to get into the Bible. You need to find out what the Bible has to say. Let God start getting into your life. He said, well, how do you do that? Well, he said, you just open the Bible and you put your finger on something and you see what God has to say. Oh, well, okay. That sounds simple enough. Six months later, he came back. There was Larry sitting there. Boy, beautiful silk suit, Gucci shoes. Told about his Mercedes. And Larry, six months. Did you do what I told you about the Bible? He said, I sure did. What would you do? 
He said, oh, I just closed my eyes, opened the Bible, and put my finger. So what did it say? It said chapter 11. I've been there. Well, we thank God for the place and thank God for the staff and thank God for a family. Family businesses are not easy, but it's fun to see the Holy Spirit working in the kids' lives and they're running the operation. Bob tonight is speaking at a Christian women's club evangelistic uh, husband's deal down in Canyon City. That's where he is tonight. And Bill has got his daughters at some kind of a musical program in Willem Park, so Dad is hosting you all, and that's a delight for me. I've been reading all kinds of books, which I love to do. Try to take in at least two or three a month. Um, Covey has just written a new book. I don't think it's quite as good as his original uh, on the habits of a successful man. This one is on building the business on principles, which I liked. I've also just been reading a new Louis L'Amour book. Any of you guys like Louis L'Amour? Yeah, I can see there's some spiritually minded guys in the crowd. I never realized that he was the author of the Hopalong Cassidy books. And this is one of... Uh, one of Hoppy's uh, books that Louis wrote way back in the early days. But then I got my teeth into a book that was given to me by a friend on Rediscovering Holiness by Dr. Packard of Vancouver, Canada, great Britisher. And I read the first introduction in the first chapter and put it aside. It was just too heavy for me but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me get away with it. And so I went back into it again about the middle of January. And that's what I'd like to chat with you about tonight. Not his book, but the subject that he wrote on, the matter of personal holiness. And so, if you would, would you turn with me in the Old Testament to the 15th chapter of the book of Numbers, Kind of the telephone book of the Old Testament. The book of Numbers. Beginning with verse 30 of chapter 15. Numbers. This is kind of the rehash of uh, the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness from Kadesh Barnea before they went into the land of promise. And uh, the law is being told to them once again of how they should behave themselves and act and so forth. Follow along as I read. The man that doeth anything presumptuously, whether he is born in the land or a sojourner, the same reproacheth the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off. 
his iniquity shall be upon him. And now a story. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man who gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they who found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation, and they put him in prison or in a ward, kind of out there in the desert, probably a high picketed fence open to the sky, but he could not get out because it was not declared what should be done to him. That's an interesting expression because the law was very specific what should be done to such a man. But this is the first time, evidently, they'd had to take action on it, and they wanted to make sure they didn't blow it. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. Now notice where that comes from. The Lord said to Moses, That man who gathered sticks on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones. In other words, there be no blood involved, blood sacrifice. You kill him, don't shed his blood outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, gentlemen, I have problems with that, as you probably do, huh? What kind of a God did Israel have that would be so finicky about a little thing of picking up some firewood on the Sabbath? Doesn't say how far he went to get it. Doesn't say how much he got. Doesn't say that perhaps he had a child back there in his tent that was sick and needed some warmth or a wife who was pregnant and and needed some help in the way of a warm fire. We don't know. But how peevish can you be about little details? You know, it's almost as if God looks down from heaven and says, you're having fun, knock it off. I was sitting back there thinking, I wonder what God was doing while we were singing one of those songs tonight, you know. Hey! (laughs) I'm sure he was smiling. I'm sure he was enjoying it. At least you guys were. You know, kind of, God is a wet blanket to our parties. God sort of wants us to be masculine Mother Teresas. Everything is somber, and we're to spend our time in the ghettos of the Calcutta of Colorado. Is that what that story is all about? Let's follow on and read the following verses. After he was dead, the Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes on the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a cord of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. Why did they put the fringe of the blue cloth upon uh, their clothing? 
to remind them of the commandments of the Lord and to do them. That ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you used to play the harlot. That ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. When I was a boy, long before TV, my favorite program in the evenings was Inter Sanctum. <laughs> and it almost was inevitable, just about the time that the thing was getting real scary on radio, my mother would drop a dish in the kitchen and I'd come right out of the chair, you know. Ooh, spooky stuff. I never realized until many years later that inter sanctum means within the holy. You see, the world takes that which is biblical and uses it for their... For instance, Augustus Caesar. That wasn't his first name. Augustus is a, a word of honor. And it means awesome, to be revered. That's why our eighth month of uh, the calendar is August, an awesome month. A holy God. A.W. Tozer, have you ever read any of his stuff? Christian Missionary Alliance, pastor, writer, theologian. A young friend of mine went to see him one time when he had a church in Chicago and said, Dr. Tozer, I want to go into the ministry. Do you have some suggestions? And Dr. Tozer came around from behind his desk and sat down in a chair by this young fellow and says, yes, young man, i got three suggestions. Number one, pour yourself into the Bible. Dig, sweat, perspire, sweat. Get to know that book and then get down on your knees and pray, pray, pray. Grab a hold of the horns of the altar. And then before you go up into the pulpit, make sure your zipper is up. <laughs> great thoughts from a great theologian, huh? Listen to what A.W. Tozer has to say in one of his books. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. Continuing with Tozer. With our loss of the sense of the majesty of God has come the further loss of religious awe and the consciousness of divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christians who can appreciate or experience the life in the Holy Spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the 20th century. 
But his opening phrase, gentlemen, at my time in life, I believe, is so true. The low view of God. As if he is a buddy right up there. Kind of the boss. The man upstairs. And the world has brought him down to our level. Today, there's very little preaching. There's very little teaching on the awesomeness, the holiness of Almighty God. Well, this book that was given to me on rediscovering holiness by J.I. Packer, in the introduction it says this, quote, There was a time when all Christians laid great emphasis upon God's call to holiness. But how different it is today. To listen to our sermons and to read the books we write and then to watch the zany, worldly, quarrelsome way we behave, you would never imagine that once the highway of holiness was clearly marked out for Bible believers. In our post-Christian culture, the church desperately needs to retrieve its holy distinctive. Week before last in the paper, the title of the article, Pentecostal Leader Backs Holiness Code. While many of the ministers of the United Pentecostal Church are at odds over an announcement this week requiring the 7,500 ministers in the denomination to recommit to its holiness code and other articles of faith or they'll lose their license. Said Reverend Larry G. Sims of the First United Pentecostal Church, I signed it 21 years ago, and I'll sign it again today. The denomination's holiness code expresses disapproval of activities considered not conducive to good Christian living, such as theater, dances, mixed bathing, women cutting their hair, makeup, any apparel, and modestly exposing the body, all worldly sports and amusements, and unwholesome radio programs and music. In a society today that does everything, any of this stuff does everything, this stuff would seem real strict, says Sims. But I think people are looking for something real to hold on to. They want something like this that has been around a long time. Our ladies hold to these teachings, but they need to get that from a conviction from God, not from me, or from our denomination. Well, you see, this is where most of us have in our pigeonhole mind that holiness is a bunch of thou shalt nots. Huh? And if you sign up all of these, you must be a holy God. I remember standing by the Ganges River in India with a missionary friend. And here is some poor people dying sick, just terrible poverty. And over on the other side of the bridge was this man in white. And as we went by, my missionary friend said in the local dialect to him, why don't you help some of those people over there? And this man very casually said, I can't. I'm a holy man. Now what did he mean? The caste system. 
He is holy. And we have developed that here in America. There are certain people, you know, by the way they dress, by the way they look. You know, they've been weaned on a pickle. Uh, you know, they don't know anything about the joy of the Lord. They would have gone right through the floor if they'd heard the singing tonight. You know. Well, how in thunder can we as a bunch of businessmen handle all this? Listen to some of the verses from the Old Testament. I'll give you the reference first and then quote just part of the verse. We won't take time tonight. to. I was going to spread these out, but uh, here they go. Numbers 1540. 1540. That ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. Exodus 15:11 Who is like unto you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? That's 15:11 of Exodus. Exodus 31:15 Remember the Sabbath day, it is holy unto the Lord. You know my folks took that rather literally. I was raised in uh, the Covenanter Presbyterian Church, and we didn't worship on Saturday. Our Sabbath was Sunday, but at sundown on Saturday, we couldn't read the newspaper. We couldn't do our studies. I couldn't ride my bike. My sister couldn't use her roller skates. My father wouldn't use the car. We'd walk to church. My mother wouldn't cook. She'd do all of her cooking on Saturday because this was the way the church told us it was to be holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy to the Lord. Leviticus 11.44 Be ye holy for I am holy. Leviticus 10.10 That ye may put a difference between the holy and the unholy. Between the clean and the unclean. Leviticus 19.1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then one last one, Psalm 96.9, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let me ask you, gentlemen. Have you been doing any thinking recently at all about God, His majesty, His greatness? Have you thought at all about that we have a holy God? So I went to the dictionary. And holy, H-O-L-Y, is an Anglo-Saxon word. Halgil, or Hal, H-A-L, which means well, or whole. For instance, we say, hello, <laughs> which really is saying, are you well? That's what hello really means. And it comes from the word holy. Separation, wholeness, dedicated, untainted, something that has been set apart. Many of you have memorized Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, what? Holy. 
holy. My body is to be a holy tabernacle for the Lord. We call this the Holy Bible. We love to hear someone sing the Holy City. Huh? Jerusalem! Uh, yeah, there it is. Whoop. Whoop. There we are. The twelve tribes of Israel camped around the tabernacle. Judah's right in the middle. This is east. <laughs> North, southwest. And inside of this great big tent was the place of meeting. This was the building. This was all open space here. Big altar right here. The gate was here. People could come in here, bring their sacrifices. Place to wash right there. This was the tabernacle. This is what God says when you camp Right in the middle of the 12 tribes is to be my habitation, huh? That's why in Europe, Eastern Europe, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, North South Dakota, Canada, oftentimes when people came out, the prominent place in the town was what? The church. It goes back to this, the centrality of the worship of God. But gentlemen, right in the middle was this building, and there was a great big curtain there. Anywhere from, well, they're not sure, Josephus, great historian, uh, writer for the Jewish people, anywhere from four to ten inches thick. And this was the holy place. And the priest could go in there every day. Showbread was in there. Candlesticks were in there. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could come into this room, which is called, what gentlemen? The Holy of Holies. Because right in the middle of this room was the Ark of the Covenant, and the cherubims facing, one facing the other, And between those terebins, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God abode. Think of the awesomeness of the high priest once a year taking blood in there. The blood for all the people to make a sacrifice into the holy of holies. Jesus was put on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. His conversation mostly was until 12. At 12 noon on that Friday, darkness came down over Calvary. And as he died at 3 o'clock that afternoon, there was a great earthquake. The graves opened up. Saints came out. But the amazing thing is that this curtain was rent in two. 
from the top to the... It didn't have a zipper. (laughs) It was interwoven. God had to do that. He took that thing and He ripped it apart, saying to all mankind, anyone now can come right into My presence. You can come into the Holy of Holies where I live, into My presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever been there? Is the blood of Jesus Christ covering all your sin? Do you know what it means to be born again? We'll never appreciate the holiness of God until we realize what a stinking, lousy, wretched sinner we are. But we don't like to do that, do we? The churches today, theology of today is that we're pretty good guys. You know? I'm okay, you're okay. (laughs) We don't like to turn to the third chapter of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory. There's none righteous, no, not. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's not popular theology, is it? And so, by and large, today we hear a theology where we talk about what man is and getting our self-image put together. We need that. But the concentration is upon man and not upon the holiness of God. I said to a friend of mine down in Florida, he lives really, I guess, in St. Pete, I said, when you think of the holiness of God, what do you think of? And he sent me this. Warren Wiersbe. Quote, We live in a defiled world that caters to our depraved nature, and it isn't easy to cultivate a personal holiness But the real problem is not on the outside of our lives. It's on the inside where we live and no one sees us but God. It starts with the appetite. Oswald Saunders. Every one of us is as close to God in personal holiness as he chooses to be. Robert Murray McShane, great Scottish theologian and pastor. Lord, make me as holy as a redeemed sinner can be. I like that, huh? And that we all fit into that, don't we? But do you have ever prayed, Lord, make me a holy man? As much as by your spirit can be accomplished. And the last one, Augustine. Oh God, demand what you will, but supply what you demand. Wow. Demand what you will, but supply what you demand. Even our word for holiday 
It's taken from the use of Sunday because it was a holy day and then it came down to a holiday. The holiness of God demands a heart that's pure within, yet grace unites with holiness to purge the heart from sin. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Sixth chapter. If you've read um, the history of Israel in the Old Testament, the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom, ten, nine and a half tribes, and the southern kingdom of two and a half tribes. And uh, the, Israel was the north, and Judah was the two and a half tribes in the south. And there was no good kings in the north. And most of the good, most of the kings in the south were good, but there were some rotten apples there. But one of the great kings was Uzziah. He took the throne from an ungodly dad at the age of 16, teenager. And for 52 years he reigned in righteousness. He walked in the steps with God. Now, if you know the story, at the very end, pride got the best of him and he blew the whole thing. He didn't finish well. But most of his life was fantastic. Uzziah. Isaiah was a contemporary. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And oftentimes, gentlemen, it takes the death of someone that we respect, that we honor, we revere, we love. And then we get our eyes upon who we should have had our eyes on all the time, huh? I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Interesting, it doesn't say... The mercy, the mercy, the mercy of the Lord. Or the love, the love, the love of the Lord. This is the only time the qualities of Almighty God are reiterated in this way. It's mentioned again in the fourth chapter of Revelation, verse 8. Same story is here. Holy, holy, holy. If you open your songbook in your church, if you have a songbook in your church, usually the first one in the hymnal is, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Whoa, is me! And that is not just a passing little phrase. It is, in the Hebrew, the idea of heartbreak. Deep sorrow that just moved way down at the gut level 
of his spiritual life when he saw the Lord and heard these seraphims. For I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Gentlemen, my call tonight to you is let's get rid of some of the froth and let's get down to the real thing. A high view of a holy God. If you are a member of His body, if you have been purchased by His shed blood, if you have the privilege of walking into His presence because of Jesus, the Lamb of God that's taken away the sin of the world, oh, how I should feel toward this God. And you know, as you get older, a lot of the priorities drop off. And you become interested in fewer things. Heaven becomes much more real. Mary and I went into Woodland Park around noon today and coming back she said, Bob, how much longer do you think God will give to us? And I said, I don't know, hon, but I said, as long as we have life, let's live it full bore for him. Now, that doesn't mean going wild in our activities, but that does mean a full commitment. Realizing, as Isaiah did, I'm a man, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a bunch of CBM seers who are also unclean lips. <laughs> then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar. And he laid upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I'm not sure there's going to be much effective evangelism. There's not going to be very much follow-up beyond just first steps. Until a guy has had this touch of God upon his life. I want it upon my life at 73. Where are you coming from tonight? Is there any passion in your heart? Lord, somehow or other, take this unholy wretch of a sinner and make him into a usable, clean, pure, holy instrument for your glory. Then said I, Here I am. Send me. I quoted a lot from the Old Testament. Let me give you a few and then a couple applications and we're through. Second Timothy 1.9 We have been called with a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 1 Peter 2.5 We should be a holy priesthood. 
Second Peter 3.11 We should abound in all holy conversation and godliness. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 Our hearts should be established unblameable in holiness. One last one. 1 Peter 1. 15 to 16. Because he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of lifestyle. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I also am holy. He doesn't tell us to be as holy as God. He tells us because I am a holy God, I want my men to be holy men, clean men, pure men, separated men, committed men, surrendered. You have any desire for holiness? For without it, You're not going to see God. Okay, a couple applications. Number one. Holiness in the Bible has really a threefold application or meaning. One, it's positional. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He came into your life and took away your sin What he took away was past, present, and future. Now there needs to be confession. And there needs to be that daily, search me, O God, and know my heart. Psalm 139, so forth. But positionally, God says, you're holy. You see, when the wonderful thing in, in the Christian experience, here I am down here, Here's God up here, and when he, when he looks down upon me, He doesn't see me now. He sees me through Jesus Christ. If He was to see me, I would be like what Isaiah said, huh? I'm undone. I'm miserable. I'm a stinker. I don't deserve, I deserve hell. But God, looking down upon Bob Foster, sees me through His Son, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, huh? He became sin for me. He who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He became what I am, that I might become what He is. Positionally, there's that holiness. There's another aspect of holiness, and that is experientially. And this is the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in our hearts daily. Holiness is not just an experience. It's an attitude. It's an outlook on life. It's a growth in grace. I was raised as a boy not only in a very strict Presbyterian home, for which I am very grateful, 
with the Scottish roots. But I was raised in the atmosphere of the Keswick movement. Keswick is a conference ground up in the Elizabethan country of northern England, right near the Scottish border. Beautiful country, lake country. A lot of our great British poets lived up in there and wrote their great poems from up in there. And uh, the holiness movement of England, by the way, a lot of it was the Methodist church. Did you know that the Methodist in its roots was a holiness movement? And Keswick became the symbol worldwide of holiness. Galatians 2.20, Galatians 6.14 uh, and so forth. I am crucified, I die daily. Uh, Romans 6. Well, it's had it, it goes in a vogue and then it drops down and it'll probably come back in writings and conferences and so forth. But as a boy, my dad, mother would take me to conference grounds and, and camp meetings and listen to Bible teachers and so forth. And holiness was a theme that we should want to be as holy as a holy God. So it's not only positionally and experimentally, but it's also our consummation. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Boy, praise the Lord for that, huh? The consuming end is when he comes or we go to be with him. We will be holy. Sin will be gone. The old nature, the old flesh. Application. Holiness and unholiness do not mix. Water and oil. God and the devil. The flesh and the spirit. And while we are in the flesh, boy, I'll tell you the temptations, huh? The lust of the flesh. And, and can I be an encouragement? It doesn't get any easier as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. The drive. The drives that God has put into us that we know don't come from God, that feed our appetite. And God says, Bob, I want you to be my man. I want that heart to be clean. I want your motives to be clean. I want your desires to be clean. I want this instrument of ten strings. Two eyes. Two ears. A mouth. A brain. Two hands. And two feet. I want that instrument to be mine and yet the flesh pulls huh? when I read a scripture that says be ye holy for I am holy then I say God I want it you're going to have to help me to be that kind of a man 
Another application. Holiness is not what I think it is or feel that it should be. It's simply obedience to the commands and voice of God. Well, talked on it this morning. Obedience. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Another application. I practice the principle of holiness in everything that I love and value. Why don't I do it in my Christian experience? With AIDS now, we go to the blood bank and the donors are screened carefully. We want holiness in that blood. We had to spend almost $100,000 two years ago to put in a new wastewater system down here. It's that barn right by the creek. We are in Jefferson County and the city of Denver said, and by the way, Goose Creek belongs to them, this water that flows through here. They said, we don't want our water contaminated. You will put in a wastewater system so that the water more than the water that you're drinking that comes out of the spring right up over here. We want holiness in our water. I had, Mary and I had one daughter and three sons. Bob is here with us. You know some of you know Danny has Mountain Chalet down in the Cattle Springs. Our third son has a church down in Clearwater, Florida. We have one girl, Jan, married to Bill Reynolds, who's here at the ranch with us. I think every day, from about 10 years on up, we, look, we prayed, Lord, keep our daughter a virgin. Keep her clean. Keep her pure for that man that will come into her life. You see, we want it in those areas of life, don't we, dads? God says, hey, I want you to have it in our relationship. My last application is that I value things more than my relationship to God so often. I'm so much more protective of my health than of my time with the Lord. I'm more concerned about protecting my car and making sure it's in good running condition than my spiritual car. The time that Mary and I put into our home the furniture, when we go overseas, the things we buy, then things. Aren't they wonderful? We have all sorts of things, things to entertain us, things to bore us, things to make life easier, things to take care of. 
Things we sit in, sleep in, rest in after working hard to buy more things. Things we cook in, we eat in. Things we eat with, things to wash things that we cook in, eat in, and eat with. Things to wear, things to wear out. Things to store things in, things to dispose of things with. Things to hope for, things to buy, things to replace. Things to protect, things to clean, things to put away, things to lose, things to break, things to fix, things to worry about, things to be driven, things that will drive you, things to be owned, things that own you. Things that can be our pride and joy. Things that will be our shame and sorrow. Things we worship. Things that remind us to worship our capital C creator. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Things. And here is a holy God that's saying, Bob, I redeemed you. Now will you give me your life? Live it completely for my glory. Let's bow in prayer. If you're like me tonight, various levels of life, you're probably saying, Lord, clean me up. If guys here in this room could see my soul, my heart, they'd probably see a mess, a garbage pit. I'd be embarrassed. I'd be ashamed. They can know some of my thoughts. Lord, you're not through with us yet. You still have us on the canvas. And patiently, by the Holy Spirit and by the promises of God and by brothers in the faith, by so many voices that come our way, Be ye holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. With our heads bowed, I'm going to ask us to do something tonight that I need to do. I'd like for all of us to take a first step into a life of holiness, whatever that means. First step. Would you tonight say, Lord, there is this sin in my life and I need to get rid of it. Thought, word, or deed. Sin in the flesh. Sin in the spirit. Sin in relationship. Sin with the tongue. Sin with the eye. I would that each one of us, the Holy Spirit would put his finger upon something in our life that we've been struggling with that perhaps is the thing that is keeping us from a life completely committed, surrendered, holy unto God. You know what it is. Right now, would you be willing to say, God, cleanse me from that.
I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a habit. I need to get rid of it. I've been trying. I'm going to trust you. It's a relationship. It's something I've been reading. Something I lust for as I look with my eyes on TV. I've made money, my God. I've put too much emphasis upon things. God, tonight you're putting your finger upon those things. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you've been speaking to me this afternoon about this, and I ask for cleansing. As a holy God, you want this man to get rid of that. As I did this afternoon, again tonight, I just say, Lord, Forgive me. Cleanse me. Renew me back into that relationship. I want to be used. I want your touch upon my life. And I want to give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen.